is Spoke, the all-new and exclusive podcast series with me, Chidera, a.k.a. The Slum Flower. And me, Sully Breaks, poet, writer, spoken word, artist, etc, etc. Where we discuss issues at the heart of youth culture and how music and literature are shaping the conversation. Throughout history, famous men have abused their power and been forgiven for their crimes on account of their art. Take Charles Dickens, a man who's arguably one of the greatest authors of all time, but also an abusive husband. Or Dr. Dre, undoubtedly a hip-hop legend, but also a man with a history of violence against women. Or more recently, R. Kelly, an artist with a long list of suspected crimes who recently released a track called I Admit, attempting to brush over his offences and return to the spotlight. Although we've seen some industry figures held to account in the wake of the hashtag MeToo and Time's Up movements, there are many other high-profile celebrities who've been able to retain a loyal following despite their well-known controversies. So why are some celebrities immune from criticism while others are cancelled? Is a fall from grace really punishment enough for their crimes? And what should you do as a fan when you discover that someone you raped has disappointed you? This week we discuss fallen icons in the wake of Me Too and the problems you face as a fan when separating the art from the artist. Okay, so this one is a mad one because... It's a crazy one, crazy one. Because like that last sentence about separating the art from the artist like makes me so vexed. Really? Well, yeah, because... Why... Like, if you're, if you're making art... And that art is coming from a person who has a history of violence or is a known aggressor, then me supporting your art by giving you money or giving you attention or giving you anything that can allow your career to, um, I guess, expand is me contributing to your livelihood, which is in a way me allowing you to be in a position that's comfortable enough for you to enact more of the same violence. So in a way, I'm still enabling you. Is, is that really the case, though, when we look at it from the context of, like, as humans, we're flawed, isn't it? Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody's going to be perfect. I think even as an audience, for us to inherently expect or impose responsibility on artists is completely naive. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because yeah. it, although someone may be... Like, even if you look at political figures, you know what I mean? People that have contributed mass, like, to mass, like, social change and, like, in positive ways, yeah. when you look into their history, there's a lot of, like, underlying, like, deep, dark kind of secrets that wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be things you advocate for. Do you know what I'm saying? So I feel mm. like inherently, as an artist, although you're making art, doesn't mean it makes you a good person. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's mm. the dynamics of being human. You know what I mean, mm. just because just because you went and fed like a thousand kids in a country like in Ghana or something like that doesn't mean you come home and treat your wife or your child with the same respect. Do you understand? Yeah. So do, do we then, and I'm not justifying it, but no. I'm saying the conversation is do we then tri- minimise or discredit their contribution towards the other lives which they're impacting in maybe a positive way? Well, it's also heavily dependent, I think, as well on the impacts that they're creating. But ultimately, it still comes down to if you're going to be creating all that goodness in the world, that needs to be reflected in your immediate environment. And those personal values can't just be performative. Does Do you it have saying? to be, though? Because your art, in your art, say, for instance, if you're an artist that makes music about making people sing and, and, and dance and jump about, and you're not necessarily advocating for, like, I beat women, so I'm going to go into my art and talk about beating women. Do you understand what I'm saying? Of course so, not. So, so it's kind of like, isn't the art like a distinct, separate kind of representation of you? 
Well, I'm really excited to get into this conversation, but I could could go back and forth with you about this forever because we got two incredible people that have joined us today. We are very grateful to have their company. Yes. You've got to introduce yourself and I want you to say one thing that you've done that you're really, really proud of. So on my left, we've got the delightful, the talented, the unforgettable Thea Gaich. Hi. How you doing, girl? I'm good. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Um, hi, I'm Thea Gaich. I'm an actress, filmmaker, writer. Um, one thing I'm proud of. I think I'm most proud of accepting my other talents. Which are? Because for a long time I thought I was solely an actress. And, um, until I started making film, which actually was birthed out of my frustrations of being an actress and not having an agent at the time. And it's scary to admit that you can do other things and put your efforts and time in in other things when you thought you were just one thing. Mm -hmm. And I think accepting that allows you to be, to fulfill your potential. Mm. And you can block yourself a lot by like not wanting to go down a certain path because you're so stuck in your head, stuck in your head that you want to be one thing. So I'm proud of doing that. Yes. Champion that we as well. That That would champion that definitely, definitely. I like that. And to my right, we have the man himself. We have the myth, you know, that came straight from the abyss, you know what I'm saying? The writer extraordinary, you know what I mean? The wizard with the pen, you know, the speaker, Jeez. the speaker extravagance, you Jeez. know what I'm saying? You know, we have the man himself, a guy I'm a very big fan of personally, Anthony Anaxaguru. Do you want to introduce yourself to the people and introduce it well? Let them know who you really are. Um, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Anthony Anaxagoru. Um, I'm a poet, uh, a writer, <clears throat> a teacher or educator, um, and, a, and a publisher. Nice. You're an epic performer. I actually mm. witnessed you um, deliver a really unforgettable performance at Oxford University. Uh, yeah. That was oh, where... That's what you were speaking about. Yeah, okay. when I said I saw you at Oxford, because right. it was me, you, Adjua, Boa, yeah, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And, but I remember the piece that you performed, and I think it was just really, really wonderful how you managed to capture the room and yeah. you made everyone think I remember me and Adjua were like oh, he's so sick when and he I, speaks the room goes silent isn't yeah. it like, there's the first two lines yeah. after the first two lines everyone's just silent bro yeah Adjua was gassed and I was like right he's sick in it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah no this guy has a way with words on another level man speaking of way with words what's your responsibility with your words this is the question we're having who's the most problematic artist on your playlist or most problematic film director or um actor that you're a fan of right now and you feel like they have certain issues that may not would change the way people perceive them hmm. um no i think this is quite it's, it's a difficult and it's a complicated question to answer there isn't really one clear avenue that you can go down with this i think what this argument or this kind of level of inquiry is predicated on is morality and morality is mm. as, as a concept mm. and i think this is where we have to be quite uh, kind of specific in the way in which we think about morality. I think there's two things within the in the constructs of art and the function of art um, and morality and how those two things are intertwined. I think the first thing to to think about is the role of the audience and the uh, the role of the consumer. Why do people go to art? What is the reason of going to art? So if we take the the, the opposite of of morality within the artistic kind of construct or within the artistic spectrum, mm. comedy 
makes is premised on subverting morality. Mm, so there's okay. a difference between an immoral joke and a tasteless joke, which is yeah. what yeah. Frankie Boyle says, right? So I think that when audiences go to comedy, they're not, they don't go as moralists. Mm. When an artist makes art, this is where it goes the other side now. So you have artists who, someone like Kanye West, yeah. who will make art, the art doesn't necessarily have to come from a moral high ground. And that is well within the artist's right to not have to moralise, to not be a moralist. Mm. Charles Bukowski, a poet, was not a moralist. They made art because the world in all its facets is not predicated on morality. This is a human concept that has actually changed over time. Mm. If you went back 150 years, slavery was moralised. Yeah, yeah. Right? it was even legal. It was legal mm. and moralised. So, mm-hmm. and, and if you go back even further, the Bible, the Curse of Ham, etc. So I think that if you look at different periods, morality changes. Law isn't even predicated on morality. Yeah. There was a shift in the early 20th century that moved from the natural, from like you know the religious law into the more objective, um, kind of logical positivism, things like this. So I think that you have uh, you have to be quite careful with the way in which you think about morality and the function and the role of the artist because we don't always have to make art. I mean, we have problems with Kanye West, yet you'll still dance to a tune yeah, in yeah. a nightclub. So I think where do we actually draw the line? And there are gradations as well. You know, there's one thing... Um, I don't know, saying something that is quite problematic, there's another thing, sexually assaulting someone. Mm -hmm. So they shouldn't be conflated as the same thing. They're all obviously terrible acts, but they shouldn't be lumped in as in being one thing. So I think really what this argument is very much premised on is one, the person's own experience. So if a woman who has been raped has to listen to a rapper or a a music music mogul or a film producer who who has raped, they won't be able to moralise or legitimise the acts of that person, whereas a man or a woman who hasn't been affronted or hasn't been affected by something Mm. are going to experience things in quite a different way. So I think a lot of it is that subjective experience of an individual and the other part is our own moral compass and how we navigate art through using that moral compass. Mm. I feel like we can end the podcast now and let's (laughs) go home. You know what I mean? So on that concept, I'm going to address it to Fia and then we can bring it back to you. So in that, is there any artists that you feel, that you ever feel like you listen to and there is that, because of your personal experience, there is that conflict. Personally, you feel conflicted on the basis that there's something that doesn't sit with me and is there artists that you've quote unquote like written off because of that? Yeah, I think when I was thinking about this topic, I kind of wanted to challenge myself and not pick someone like Easy, like Chris Brown, for example, yeah. mm. whose music I don't really like anymore anyway. So it's kind of easy for you to, to quote unquote, them. yeah, discard yeah. them, cancel them, the whatever. Anymore. <laughs> yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Or like, like even Weinstein, do you know what I mean? He's a producer, mm. so of course he produces, he has produced great films, but him as a person, you don't really connect with him because he's a producer, you don't yeah. see, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was thinking of some people that would challenge me and my perspective. So I was thinking of Johnny Depp and... Um, oh, yes. Oh, okay. That's that's good. That's actually and one, Kevin Spacey, mm, yeah. who, whose talents as actors, Johnny Depp specifically, since I was young before like I was um exposed to all the other actors like I always thought he was like oh my god Johnny that's the best yeah, like, yeah, the he's one of the best and um I know that his situation with Amber Heard kind of split the industry a lot on like people didn't know who that's to believe his ex-wife right? yeah his ex-wife so they met on the set of Rum Diary and um there were there's been allegations of an abusive relationship etc etc um and I was and I started like questioning myself and I was like, but 
it's and it's similar to what you were saying about if you can't relate to the effects of it, it's really difficult to then like disregard them and what you enjoy about them or their work as an artist. Like, mm-hmm. would I not go and see if he had a new film coming out and it had great reviews? Would I really not go and see it? Mm. Like, it may, and I don't think I. I think I would go and see it, which is then like, oh. So unapologetically, where, would you go and see it, or would you the whole time be thinking, "Whoa!" Like, I, I'm, I'm. I think you. Th- I think it would. Cro- oh, it was cross my mind when I'm watching it, like, but I think I would go and see it, which is then is like you question yourself, like, okay, you can say all of this stuff. I think a lot of us are like um, contradictory. Yeah. Um, when it's about ourselves. Like, we can speak on topics. No, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. And mm-hmm. when you're in the position, you definitely do do it. Yeah. And then Kevin Spacey, I was um, part of Old Vic for a long time, so I acted there. I was part of Old Vic New Voices and a community company. And he really changed that theatre for the better. So he was there for, I think, 11 years. Oh, wow. And he made it popular. He changed it. Like, he brought it out of the dirt. Like, he, he gave £10 tickets to, like... Um, people who couldn't afford theatre. He created, like, this amazing platform for young people in theatre. I was part of a mentorship that he created. Um, So I was one of the actresses that was chosen to be partnered with another actress Mm. and so on and so on. This was obviously before his allegations came out. And then again, what you were saying earlier, you question, yeah, like, what, what role is that? Can you separate the art from the person and how they've helped so many people in this way? even though they've harmed whoever. And when I was researching this, I found uh, an article about Kevin Spacey because he got recast from a film called All the Money in the World. So he was the main character, not the main character, so he was the granddad. And um, they shot the whole film. It's a Ridley Scott film, they shot it all. The trailers were in cinemas, then the allegations came out. And so then Ridley Scott recast um, Christopher Plummer um, instead. And they had to reshoot it in 10 days. Anyway, when I was, re- I was reading the mm. article, and Ridley Scott, like, I've got a quote here, which is my thing that I Which is your in. item. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Let's go into <laughs> items thought, then. That's cool. Which I, I like thought, that. like, was interesting. So he said, this is Ridley Scott quote, whatever you do in private is not my business. It only becomes my business if it infects the business that I'm in. Okay. Then it's my duty to do something about it. So his whole point was saying that he didn't necessarily remove Kevin Spacey for moral reasons. Mm. It was more because business. business. So if it would affect his money and it affects the film industry and it affects films that people are trying to sell, do you know what I mean? Time is money, film is very expensive. Mm. So then it made me think, so how much of this Me Too movement Mm. is that? Mm. Okay, that's a good point. Interesting angle. That's that's a very good point. How much of it is really incentivized but for by commercial gain yeah, as opposed yeah, to actual yeah. like social yeah. kind of like conscious like outrage how many people oh. are co-signing it how many directors how many producers are like no you're right cool they might also be for moral reasons but how many of it is because they know if they keep these people in their stuff they'll lose money like Netflix mm. lost so many mon- so much money because yeah, of, you know of House yeah, of yeah. Cards do you know what I mean so that quote like if I hadn't read that article I would have presumed he removed Kevin Spacey for ethical reasons, reasons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would have believed that until I read it and then I was like oh <coughs> I guess that I guess part of that is because that there, there, there must have been a sense of pressure to sound a bit after pressure pressure yeah. there was a lot of pressure there was a sense of pressure to to i guess 
align with that. Mm. It's, it's it's very similar to what happened with, do you remember Radar Radio? Mm-hmm, yeah. Right, so yeah. similar to what happened at Radar, I had a show at Radar and a lot was happening. People started leaving, but I know that a lot of people who left, they left because if you had remained in that environment, it now just looks bad on you because yeah. so many people have left. Yep. So then it was, I was now thinking like, is this person leaving because they care deeply about the initial reason why the first people who left, left? Or are they leaving because if they don't leave, they're going to look like a bad person and that's mm-hmm. going to affect the way that people view them? Mm. So it's a difficult one because what happened ironically was that one of the people who announced that they left was actually an abuser. Yeah. Oh wow. And but their but their announcement was that they're saying that they're leaving because, because of the abusive environment. <laughs> and I'm like, this is jokes. But it's it's a difficult one and I'm quite conflicted as well because um I I, I operate in an industry that is, you know, there's, there's there's publishing on this side and there's like me working with um people that do campaigns and stuff. It's just a lot and I've found in so many situations where it's really hard for me to speak up for myself, especially there's been so many instances where I've been on set and my hair's been touched and everyone everyone in the crew is white and mm. I'm the I'm the talent here, I'm the black woman. If I if I tell someone off for touching my hair or making like a microaggressive remark, mm-hmm. that's now that's now destroyed the entire vibe and it's now I'm gonna be feeling it the most because I'm the one who needs to work and I'm the talent here. So now everyone feels awkward moving around me. So then I decide to just keep quiet and keep silent. But then I'm thinking, is my silence then um enabling for this to happen even longer? Yeah. Which then puts me in a very, very difficult position of responsibility. But then leading into like the Me Too movement I think what's really, really upsetting about that is initially when Me Too was started, one, it was started by a black woman who has dealt with abuse and Mm. is trying to give voices to black women who have been abused and unable to speak up. But then the issue is, like you were saying, that when it starts to enter the conversation to do with money, what happens is that people want to look like they are morally on the right side of the conversation Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of when I think there was a red carpet event happening and people had to wear like roses or something. Yeah. And it's like that thing again. It's like if you don't wear a rose, then it looks like you don't care. Yeah. So yeah, then yeah. it's like. <laughs> but I think, uh, but I think a lot of this is assuming that 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 the idea of business or the idea of capitalism or the idea mm. of acquiring and making money is premised on philanthropy and, and do-gooding, which is not. It's like, true. That's not, in the, that's not a business's modus operandi. Like, their thing is to make money. Yeah. And everything else is secondary to that, yeah. including things like what we're speaking about. Yeah. So to expect a business to act... I mean, ethically, the, the capitalist model is, is it premised on exploitation. <laughs> yeah, 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 100%. Right? Yeah. So the whole thing is about... It's already expo- rigged. Right. Mm. So to expect a business to all take like a humane stance on something yeah. is ridiculous. Mm. But I think the fact that people are getting cancelled, the fact that people are being put out of work, I don't even think it's going to hurt their pocket in that sense because a lot of these people are very powerful people mm. anyway. And, yeah, regardless. Where it does get really interesting is when you compare powerful, a lot of the time, powerful white men mm. um, or powerful entertainers to people in prison who are the most, un- who most of the pe- people in prison are poor. Like, yeah. I do a lot of work in prison mm-hmm. and I see a lot of the guys that are in there are in there for the same reason as... That's a good point. The person yeah. that was cancelled. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that is a both a form of cancelling, but the difference is... 
that the people with power and money have still got their autonomy. Enjoy their privileges. They're, they're, yeah. No one's gone to prison. No. Yeah. But these guys have. So you look at, again, you look at law, you look at the judicial system mm. and how that plays out with power, money, race, class, etc. And you start to realise there's something a lot more insidious at play here. There's something a lot more profound than just somebody doing something wrong mm. and then getting pulled up for it. We're looking at the situation from a standpoint that the people in this industry or the industry itself it just doesn't have like a responsibility to. Has got but, a moral yeah. backbone. Yeah. No, no, yeah. What items do you bring? I didn't bring any items. I got a quote. Yeah, that's yeah. an item. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I thought you had like a number two. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Just no, no. <laughs> um, what fits into the conversation? Man, look, like I'm not a purist. I, what is I, a, what's a purist? Like a purist, somebody who. Is, is a Puritan. Like, everything is... If I was a purist, I wouldn't live in this country, right? No, I'm not going to start judging people okay. um, in this kind of sense when I live in a country and I pay tax towards a government that props up Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Like, that, you can't. It's impossible. Yeah. So I think that you have to see things as they are. And it's all okay. very well and good to try and say, you know, like, I'm no longer supporting this because of that. Yeah. But then there's other things at play as mm-hmm. well. You know, you can boycott this, but then what happens over yep. here? Yeah. So I think the system is so complicated and it's so interwoven with exploitation, with corruption, with genocide, with arms fed, like all this kind of thing, that for me, I see individuals as human beings before I deify them. So I'm, I don't, I'm not looking for a saviour. I'm not looking to, to put somebody like a celebrity yeah. on a pedestal and think you are the beacon, the yeah. paragon of excellence. You are the all good. Yeah. Yeah. People are in people are, f- are fallible. fallible. Right? Yeah. And I think because of that fallibility, we have to understand that art is something that you do. It's a verb. It's something that you make, right? Mm-hmm. So a human, you might be very like Einstein might have been great, you know, at quantum physics, but then when it comes to like raising a child, he yeah, wasn't yeah, very good. Yeah, terrible, yeah, or or, or man, cooking. Yeah. You know, or something like this. Like in- intelligence and art- artistry and gifts and the idea of the, the extraordinary individual. Mm. These things that are almost channeled to become one thing. So we remove the fact that Kevin Spacey is a great actor, also a perpetrator. Mm. And those two things somehow... But look at the rest of that person's life and, mm. and the rest of what it constitutes to be a human being. Mm. And you start to see that we are all problematic in our own, in our own ways. And mm. some obviously more than others, but Absolutely. the fact is, is that... We're all here playing playing our part. So I, I I genuinely what I try and do, can you separate the dancer from the dance, which is kind of what what we're getting at here. Yeah. I, I someone like Philip Larkin. Right, he's, he's a poet. He, he was a poet. Um, and when we say elaborate, elaborate for the people that are listening. So Philip I mean, Larkin yeah. was a was a poet that was around in the 50s, 60s, 70s, like the modernist poet in yeah. that kind of period. And he was an English English guy from Hull. Um, and he wrote a very famous poem called "The Wits and Weddings," um, and it's one of my favourite poems of all time. Philip Larkin also, in 1984, said he doesn't want to go to uh, test matches anymore because there's too many effing n words around, mm. and that the South African police squad should come and sort them out. He was a Thatcherite, he was classist, he was racist, and all this is documented. Yet he's lauded, he's lionised, he's respected within literary circles. Why? Because he can write a mean poem, but he was also a fascist, like yeah. an outspoken fascist. He, he, you know, he hated poor people. He hated yeah. them. And so I think with people, what do you do? Do you cancel his work or do you see it for this is the work of a fascist? Ezra Pound, mm. he was writing with Mussolini. You know, he wrote some of the most famous cantos of the Second World War, yet he was a fascist. 
so let me ask you this then. You have a publishing house, yeah? Yeah. You have a platform. Mm. So if an artist approached you and you knew that they had very, like, uh, offensive, you know, kind of like... Um, very dark history. Yeah, views, you know, and things that you, you didn't outwardly agree with, but you knew that their art was of a high standard and it was of a level that you would champion irrespective of... If you wasn't aware of the, of their circumstance, would you would you feel a responsibility, a moral responsibility, not to give that a platform or a wider reach, or would you say this is just good work and no. let me take it for what it is? Yeah, I mean, like I say, I I come from a moral place, and I think that how it works is that I have a moral compass and I navigate the world using that compass. However, I don't know how conducive being censorious actually is. What is censorious? So mean? to censor somebody censor. to cancel. Okay. Like. So I think that for me. Philip Larkin, Ted Hughes, Bukowski, Ezra Pound, Elliot, all these poets who were problematic, the Chris Browns, the Kanye's, you know, you go, Kevin Spacey, you go all the way down the line. Let people know what they've done and use that to build on the future. That's how you move forward. You don't hide from it. You don't sanitise it. You don't say, no, we lived in a... You say, this is what we're going to use now mm-hmm. to build on, to move on and to work forward. And they, that has to exist because we live in a fascistic society. There are people out there. I mean, you can see in the UK alone, from Brexit all the way through to Tommy Robinson, you see the whole thing, how it plays out. So to deny that that exists, that that body politic exists, is in itself counterproductive to what it is we're trying to do. So no, I wouldn't publish them. And I would ask them to not be involved in the arts. Yeah, I know poets, contemporaries of mine, who are racist, who are writing racist. I'm not going to name them. Yeah, but I, But I, I, you know, there's people that are operating right now who are the same age as me and are writing very racist poems. Be they like, you know, steeped in metaphor, whatever yeah. else, they're a problem. Yet they have publishing deals with, you know, major publishing houses. So I think it's important to recognize these things for what they are mm. and and have the conversation you know but have it conducively as opposed to this kind of very polarizing way in which we do politics we have to do everything so so if so if we're discussing i want to address this to you fear so if we're discussing it in the same way like same way i was talking to anthony about talking about art and put on a platform even though you know the person is problematic mm. and that they are flawed so as a producer and a director, in your personal experience, have you come across a situation where you had to draw that moral standard that is that you hold yourself to mm. in order to get art produced? Because, I mean, especially as an independent um, filmmaker, mm-hmm. you have very limited resources as it is. So mm. say someone comes onto the set mm. and like the Radar Radio situation, they may have a background that is questionable, but they're the best actor for the job. Mm. Is it still... Because st- I think, like you said, we operate in a business. Does the business aspect still affect what you need to do versus what you want to do? Yeah, it's definitely it definitely affects it. I've never personally been in that situation. Yeah. Um So but, hypothetically, if you was, would you you know what I mean, imagine say for instance a massive Hollywood producer says, I'm making I'm giving you a million to make a movie, but mm. you have to cast Spacey because he's on his comeback tour and you're the only director that will make it. And like you said, you still go to the to the cinema to watch his films. Mm. Are, are you a hypocrite by then saying, No, but I have this standard or are you just being business orientated? Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't cast him. From a commercial reason or for a personal reason? Um, I don't know. I think it's a bit of both, um, to be honest. I think... It's such hard territory. I know, it's, it's just hard. hard. Like, really I don't, hard. It, is, it is, like, I understand when I read the Ridley Scott quote, but even though I hadn't... Uh, but Ridley Scott's problematic. No, he's yeah. problematic himself. No, but just his quote when he was talking about the business side of it. And obviously, as we know, as we've spoken about, business and capitalism isn't moral and it doesn't spawn from those grounds. 
But um, yeah, I wouldn't because also I think I think a lot of it. I think it is personal as well because of how Kevin Spacey went about when he got found out and mm. how and yeah, the statement he, he released. Yeah. So how did he handle it? In his apology, he used it to come out as um, gay. gay. Oh. Yeah. Instead of to garner sympathy, instead yeah, of yeah, 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 exactly. So he tried to get, um, yeah, get support yeah. from another uh, oppressed group to try yeah. and like to try and alleviate the pressure on him. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know? There's another element to this that we haven't. Yeah. Let's upon. let's talk about the, 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 There's one other thing is that I often think about the way that the cult of celebrity is mm. kind of contained and the way in which they're spoken about, and it's mm. all this this kind of extraordinary, almost superhuman talent that they have. Yeah. And that eclipses anything else mm-hmm. so you know we look at the guy in prison from I don't know Walthamstow and yeah. he's doing six years right mm. he can't act he can't sing he can't dance can't write poems whatever else right mm. as far as we know he deserves to be in prison yeah. this person can act incredibly well they've raped and assaulted mm. several women mm. but they're an entertainer so ah, there it is yeah. but they have a talent mm. yeah but is the argument for it's their talent or is it their so- impact because yeah, this is the question you have thing. to ask. It's the same it's thing. Talent is impact. I don't feel like it's the same it's thing. It's how it's valued. It's how it's valued yeah. and how it's received it's like by how, groups of people. It's, no, the but same, it's like how we respond to beautiful people, right? It's like how beauty is used as a way to... to Basically, the more the more beautiful you are, the better you are treated and the more you're able to escape certain things. Basically, the more beautiful you are, the more value you have as a person. In the same way, the more talented you are, the more value you have as a person. But if we look at it, that, that's one way to look at it. But if we're talking about, say someone's beautiful, like it makes people feel better, isn't it? So that's like, to an extent, someone likes to being like appreciated by a beautiful person. They like the, how it makes them feel because they feel like if they're beautiful and they like me, that's an emotional response. So the same way Thea was talking about how Kevin Spacey paid for this theater, did this, did that, did that, you know what I mean? Same way we can, we can say that Kanye West provides jobs for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a very practical impact, and people are saying that, like you said, he helped pay for, like, make the mm-hmm. theatre accessible. We're trying to say this, that then does that not kind of atone them? Because we're talking about the subject no, of redemption. I don't think it does does that not create some kind of atonement be- if you balance the scales, no, like be- Gandhi, mm-hmm. for instance? Because, because then- nah, man, Gandhi was a prick. No, I don't. I'm not. A fa- I'm not a fan. <laughs> of, I mean, Nas said it for me. Gandhi was a fool. You know what I mean? So already, I have my p- opinions of him. But, that's but, but then Nas has got a lot of issues. Of course, as well, right? do you understand what I'm so, saying? Look, yeah. I, I, I think I think the point is is that when you look at atonement and you look at this kind of notion that Kanye West creates a lot of jobs, that, that does that allow him? Does that justify him supporting what Trump? Is, what does atonement mean? To kind of redempt, to mm, kind okay. of forgive that kind of yeah. But but isn't that but isn't that your own personal stance then? By you saying pers- but everything yeah. is your personal. That's no, why okay, I said this is a, this is about subjectivity. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, but, yeah. What about this idea of what we spoke about? Just to backtrack a bit, that yeah. we spoke about. Um, how we're very quick to uh, excuse and pardon certain individuals. Mm. And and if we think about it in a more selfish way, the reason, one of the reasons I think it is, is because we, that person's symbolic representation, what they symbolise for us as individuals. So if you take it back to before the cult of celebrity and you look at kings and queens and then you go back Mm. even before that and you look at prophets prophets, and deities and whatever else, the idea... The purpose was to project our inadequacies, our fantasies, mm-hmm. our dreams and our desires onto these individuals, 
right? Be they omnipotent or be they human. Yeah. And I think that what we do with celebrities now is using glamour, using marketing, smoke and mirrors, PR campaigns, whatever else, we create the idea of the indestructible superhuman. Mm. That's what the cult of celebrity is about. And so the moment that you cancel one of these individuals, you are now cancelling the aspirations, mm. the of hopes so and dreams, people, yeah. the symbolism of so many groups of people, which is why they're very quick to defend. Whereas the guy who's in Walthamstow in prison, he doesn't represent anything for anyone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He just gets lumped in this category of criminal. We don't care mm, what it hundreds. is, you're just a criminal. That's mm. where you go. And so... There's all these discussions and think pieces and hot takes on, you know, on Kevin Spacey's and actors and footballers, Ronaldo. Yeah, now, yeah, you see? yeah. So yeah. I think that, it, you know, we have to see this as, as a wider thing, not just the individual, but what that individual represents and why we're quick to want to either ameliorate or go the other way. Mm. Do you reckon this is just a male problem? Because I'm curious about our relationship with Azealia Banks. Mm-hmm. who, for those that know, she's a musician and American, she's also yeah. known for just being really, really... Um, she's quite confrontational about a lot of topics, but at the same time, she's got a really smart head on her. But a lot of the time, she does say a lot of homophobic things, transphobic things, but then she still is upheld a lot by so many communities, including um, the gay community as well. And I see a lot of people saying things like, we've decided to cancel Azealia Banks, but this tune kind of goes in, though. So I think the question I'm asking is, like, in what ways is it different for women? Sabrina Claudio. Oh, yes, Sabrina Claudio. So for those who don't know, Sabrina Claudio is a young musician. um, I think she's about 20 or 21. Mm -hmm. And I think she is, yeah, she's Cuban. um, Very, very fair-skinned. Um, and so what happened was her tweets got pulled up from when she was about 16, 17, where she was being extremely racist and um, attacking black women on the internet and being fatphobic as well. And so the internet collectively decided to cancel her. Mm-hmm. But th- th- this is the issue with call-out culture. Yeah. Like, I have a... And I get... You know, this is a controversial topic. Like, you yeah. saw it with Maya Jammer as well. Like, yeah. you see it with Stormzy. Like, th- yeah. there's, there's a lot of this whole... Twitter loves a pylon. Yeah. yeah. And Twitter doesn't need anything substantial to actually try <laughs> no. and, yeah. you know, deduce why this thing happened. And again, it's the idea that people can't grow. Yeah. We, we've all said stupid stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Every, everyone has said something stupid mm. in their mm-hmm. time and mm-hmm. acted in stupid ways. Some people aren't learning in public. Some are That's learning the in difference. private. Yeah. yeah, some are learning in Lucky private. for them. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think that we have to take that into consideration, you know, that someone, when they're 17, and all the stuff that's kind of gone into that experience of being yeah. a 17-year-old mixed-race girl or whatever it is, and then someone when they're in their mid-20s or 30s or 40s, they're not the same person. And, right. also, and also, like, I've always said, when with this whole Twitter cancelling culture of bringing up old tweets, like the world has changed so much. Things that were politically correct yeah, 100%, different, different. are not politically correct now yeah. and it's a constant change and we as a society decide how to change the meaning of words yeah, do you know 100%. what I mean and we decide all the time constantly evolving what, what what how yeah how we do that and what's what's allowed and what's fine now and what wasn't then do you know what I mean yeah. but I think we still have to be quite I think we still have to be quite meticulous with the way in which we think about political correctness mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there is, like, overt homophobia, yeah, overt yeah, yeah. racism and overt sex. Yeah, exactly. yeah, of course, of like, course, of course. Know, <laughs> is what it is. I think, yeah, like you say, microaggressions and the vocabulary around certain things, mm-hmm. there's more discourse now than what yeah. there was 10, 15 years ago mm-hmm. because of the proliferation of technology, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think that, yeah, you definitely have to see that but then also understand, like we were just saying, that this is a learning experience yeah. for everyone. Like, mm-hmm. you look at Russell Brand's trajectory 
Hungary, yeah, where right, he was ten yeah. years ago to where he is now. He's a different <laughs> yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, Malcolm yeah. X. Yeah, you know, like you go through, yeah, yeah. and you'll see that people. Some people just do their learning in public. Mm-hmm. Mm. We yeah. think of things as this Black kind and of white. this monolith. Yeah, like yeah. It's all yeah. What, like you're crime. either yeah. righteous or, or you yeah. Are, like I don't think there's at all space to grow in public and to make mistakes in public. Like you, if you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. hard. It is not a safe because space. the media is predicated on shame. Yeah, yes, like that, that's a good that. point. People that, love a story why. where someone is someone gets you know, shamed. Yeah, someone gets called out. They, the best story is someone who's known for being positive and has very clean views, and then something is brought up, and it's like aha. Yeah. It's like in cartoons when it's like in Scooby Doo when you remove the person's mask, and it's like aha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't for you meddling but, kids. But, <laughs> but you know what? If if we were to even think about these things in a more critical way, then we're going to start losing this very tabloid way of receiving information yeah. and thinking about people because on the other end of that scandal mm. there's a human being mm. now I'm, look, look, make it clear like I'm not trying to pardon people who have done heinous crimes yeah 100% like it's yeah, just yeah. you know human beings who F up at some point in, in their journey and aren't forgiven mm. and that's what I'm saying like to think about things in that, in that way to not lump uh, a serial killer in there with a, with a petty thief like mm-hmm. they're not the yeah. same thing. Yeah. You know? They both fall under crime, yeah, but, but there's gradations. Yeah. What about the white collar boys in the city? Yeah, 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 yeah. Who's gone to prison? Yeah. Who's gone to prison for what happened? You know, with, with, with the banking crisis. Mm. With no exactly, one. not a single banker. No one. What happened to Grenfell? Yeah. What happened to Grenfell? Yeah, so, Who's yeah. gone to prison for Grenfell? Yeah, but someone will go to prison for nicking skittles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll talk. Let's let's talk about the subject now. That we're on the subject of growth and like humanity and people. So at what point? Does someone get to an, a place of redemption? At what point are we allowed to allow allow? Do we give people the opportunity to like re revolve or move past that? Because we have Dre here as an example where when he's known as having an abusive relationship towards women and he's openly admitting to it. Who's and, that? And Doctor Dr. Dre. Dre. Okay. Yeah, and he's openly on, more, on multiple occasions admitting to it, and he's actually come out and saying. I've paid the price and as a result of that I take it more from his personal experience meaning that he knows how that's affected his relationships maybe with those women or other people or how people perceive him but as a public or society when do we get to the point where it's like okay you know what not necessarily we forgive you but okay we're not going to use this to kind of like to um, demonise you for the rest of your life because it's kind of, that's kind of how it is right now if you get if you get seen unless you have a certain level of celebrity mm. if you get something associated with you you're carrying that from now mm-hmm. to your grave you know what i mean okay. i think it's also Money. like how the information is learned because if if it's from the person's mouth like for example i heard dre talking about it in the defiant ones yeah mm. and when you hear the person talking about it and how they they're describing mm. they know that it was wrong at the time and this is what they've gone through and now they've learned and now they've gone in this journey it's more difficult to then want to cancel them yeah it's yeah. different when it's, it's different when like revealed yeah it's different secret. when it's revealed to when like someone's <laughs> telling you that their that, past yeah. and telling you how they've changed and so, how they've grown mm. um i think that differs but and in terms of like people that aren't don't have legendary status it's like i find it really difficult and i always feel quite sorry for them because when people something's happened and it's been pulled up on the internet and they're trying to apologise, like, they can't it's ever get your it apolo- right. Your apology it's gets like, demonised. Yeah, like, you didn't apologise properly. You yeah. start again. It's like, oh, yeah, you apologised in your notes. <laughs> Bruv, what do you mean? <laughs> what what do you else are people... Should I do a video? I know, like, I don't understand. Webcam, so it's like, it's, 1080. I don't, I don't know. I don't know when, when society decides to forgive people if it isn't that... Status. Do you know what it is though? I think you've made an important point because it's reflective of our own relationship with self-forgiveness though. Yeah. Because it reached a point where it's like, okay, how would you like me to show that mm-hmm. I am 
sorry for what I've done and that I've learned because I actually need to to live through this experience and allow my allow my lesson to actually manifest in me. Yeah. Like, how do you prove that you've learned your lesson? Yeah. But then, I, I, but then I think to myself, like, is Dr. Dre a moralist? Has, has Dr. Mm-hmm. Dre ever come from a moral place, or is he coming mm-hmm. from a place of commentary? Mm-hmm. You know, like I am. This is who I am. I am from this place. Mm-hmm. Whereas a politician, yeah, that's whole, a responsibility. That's a responsibility. You have yeah. influence. You have power. You have direct. You can legislate. That, that's yeah. a difference from somebody getting on a microphone and saying yeah. "f the government," yeah, 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 you know, or "f the system." Like that's very different. Bob Marley, again, yeah. another very problematic character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that whichever way you cut it. Like you always, and you're right. There is definitely something within this gender issue. Is the fact that it's this is very common amongst men. This is part of the patriarchy. This is part of what you know, male supremacy. This is what it affords people. Mm. And if you compare that to problematic women, you'll find it difficult to even try and pick ten. Yeah, it's it's just one of these things. It's inbuilt within the system, and men are taught to behave and to be able to get away with certain things. And then the more powerful you become, the more you can push those things yeah, out on, yeah. yeah I feel like the internet is such a dark place I remember back in back in 2015 2014 I saw I saw 2018 coming I knew that people are going to start doing this thing where they will type in your handle and type a particular term next to it to find something so I downloaded a program um, called like Martani or something like that and I just went through my archive deleted all my old tweets from when I was like 15, 16 years yeah. old because that's not the person I am now yeah. and I knew that the social landscape was very different back mm-hmm. then where the way to bond with people was banter and cussing people's mums yeah, yeah, and yeah. Being, a, being an absolute idiot mm-hmm. and now that I know that it was wrong imagine, I just imagine constantly what if those old tweets got pulled up now and mm-hmm. how people would <laughs> okay, let's wrap it up. But I think with with us talking about this subject, and you just addressed something that you felt like when you was young, you know, you went and you 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 you're extremely like regretful for, and yeah. you, you like you'd want to make atonements for it, and you're happy that you was able to rectify that. Mm-hmm. Is end it with talking about something that maybe this this is your opportunity to kind of like talk about something that you said in the past, or maybe something that you put online that you really regret. One of the things I really regret being in the situation. I remember when I was like. Maybe I was I was I was like twenty, twenty one, twenty two. I can't remember how old I was. Maybe like twenty. But at the same time, I was not as open my understanding when I wrote a poem about abortion. And I look back and I'm thinking like, no one had to tell me that. I look back and look back. Why would I even think it'd be okay to discuss yeah. a subject like that? Do you understand what I'm saying? But this is me coming from years of understanding it from, a, from mainly from like uh, upbringing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or mm. mainly from a male perspective as well and saying that this is right, this is wrong. But as growing and it's not only just educating yourself it's really just experiencing life you realise mm-hmm. that there's certain discussions that there's multifaceted and there's so many things that you can't just put into a poem yeah. and say right wrong do you understand what I'm saying yeah. and, and that I mean like that's probably one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done and I've never but come you out from it I've, yeah and I've never come out publicly and said like you said people learn I've never come out publicly and said I shouldn't have done that, that that's one of the things was like wow if I had opportunities like you wouldn't I'd remove it. all evidence of it online but I'm sure it's still floating <laughs> around somewhere <laughs> but, but. no yeah like um, I definitely like wiped old tweets yeah. Um, and it wasn't even that, and it was mainly around because, like, I'm sure we all know, like, we all used the word gay. Yeah. Back in the day, yeah, in a completely a different context, yeah. it wasn't even anything to do with gay people. <laughs> it was just. It was just. Wrong, it was just. Gay so. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously, looking back on my tweets, I was like, I oh, know I didn't mean it in a disrespectful way, but yeah. obviously the word meant something different yeah. to like youth then. And I, but I remember like being on a bus maybe last year and there was like a group of teenagers on a bus and they used gay in the context that had that yeah that we used to use it and i remember like and they was talking loud and they said it loud 
like, oh, that's gay fam or whatever they said. Mm. And like my whole body was, I just like... sunk, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like, is this really what we was doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. is this really how we were speaking? Yeah. And do you know what I mean? Everything. And my mum's a teacher and I remember when she... It was, like, a while ago now. But I remember when she said that, like, it had been brought into schools that they had to... They banned the word used in that context kind of thing. Mm. And then it just made me, like, realise, like, it wasn't always banned, though, in that context. Like, it was really... It was normal. It was normal like, yeah. and it was really allowed. And yeah. it's weird because I don't consciously remember when the shift happened for me. Yeah. But just hearing someone else say it on the bus, like, a couple of years ago, mm. like, I was so offended or whatever by it. Yeah. And I was like, wow, but I didn't even notice when that shift happened yeah, personally. Yeah. But certain, just sorry. us as a society and how, obviously, as you grow up and learn and have yeah. different friends, that, yeah, it just changes. I hear that. Anthony, do you want to close us off? I mean, I, I, mean, I'm quite, I don't know how old everyone is here, um, but I'm 35. Yeah. So I didn't really come onto Facebook and Twitter until I was maybe 27 28 something like this so I was quite fortunate in the fact that I'd done all my stupid stuff yeah, yeah. like you know offline, offline <laughs> yeah, the internet didn't exist when I was 17 18 um, so I'm, I'm quite thankful for that I mean I've deleted stuff but I've, I've deleted because I felt the wording I haven't framed it right what yeah. I'm trying to say the only thing that I think I ever I got taught a very quick lesson and the way that it was done was for me the most beautiful way you can teach someone um and it was some. It was when Kanye West did Glastonbury, yeah. and he was using the N word. And I, you saw the, the the picture was him in that box, and then all these white folk were just saying the N word. You could see yeah. them mouthing it back. And I think I went on Facebook and I just did this whole thing that you know that rappers shouldn't use this word and white people shouldn't be saying it. Blah blah blah. And I then think I remember. Yeah, yeah, and then a friend of mine from America, African American guy, he called me up and he says, are you around? You know, I'm, I'm going to chop it up. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm about. So he goes, all right, let's go get a drink. So we went and had the drink and as we were chatting, he said, I saw your, the post that you did. So you don't, you know, what are your thoughts? I said, listen, man, and I was quite righteous with it. Like, this is what I think, blah, blah. <laughs> and then he was like, cool, you're not African-American. And I was like, yeah, I know that, man. I'm pretty aware of that. And he goes, so here's the thing. What that word does within the American context is act as a relief. And only if you are an African-American can you fully understand the function of that word. Mm. And just to kind of use it in this kind of way to perform or to posture is takes away the essence of, of what it does. Now, he's saying, look, I'm not trying to say it's right or whether yeah. it's wrong. I'm just saying that what he was saying is that it helps us deal with the black experience. Mm -hmm. And if that word is needed to deal with the black experience, and he was from Yonkers, mm -hmm. you know, like, then that word needs to be there. You, what you should have said, it should have stopped that white people mm. should not use that oh, word. Okay. Mm. That's it. Like, literally, the other, the other discussion is for black folk to have. <laughs> like, particularly African-Americans. Yeah. It goes, not even black British folk, yeah, yeah, yeah. because this is something that America have exported. Yeah. This is a discourse within that, and there's enough comment, Tanishi Coates, there's enough James Baldwin commentators who have talked and spoken about the use of, of the N-word within that context. Yeah. And so for me, you know, I never really thought of it as, as a kind of coping mechanism in, in that sense of how you deal with white supremacy, of how you deal with you know, structural oppression and things like this. Um, and it completely changed the way in which I kind of saw language and, and the way in which some words do act as a... I don't know if you've seen Tanishi Coates' thing where he talks about overhearing his wife 
Talking call to her a friend, friend a bitch. A bitch, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah and then yeah, he was yeah. like, oh, why would anyone even have the desire to want to use that word? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, unless you're desire. a woman. Right. Yeah. <laughs> unless you're so it's, you know, I think this is for me, this is one of the beauties of and one of the most kind of deleterious elements of language is the fact that it it does create these kind of political discussions but then you know language is political like the whole thing is structured on mm-hmm. on politics and in, being inclusive and exclusive and things yeah. like this so i think that for me that's that's my takeaway um, and that's one of the most kind of profound lessons i learned a few years back on um, on social media so i'm, I'm grateful for that Cool, yeah, man. It's been a great, great, great discussion, man. Thank you both for your time, Thank your contribution, you. your energy, your yeah, your enlightenment. Take Thank care. You. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for coming. Guys,